0: Good morning! It is Wednesday, August 1st, 2018. This is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, Pam Marvin and I will talk a little bit about the New Age phenomenon and the Catholic Church's response to it in the document, Jesus Christ, the Bearer of the Water of Life. The first part of the show, I would like to talk a little bit about the National Diaconate Congress that I participated in this past week. And um, I'll have Pam Marvin chime in a little bit on that. But also, I want to welcome everybody listening to us here in Central Texas on KEDC 88.5 FM Hearn, Bryan College Station, and also our Waco listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena, Waco. And also, welcome to everybody in Palestine listening on KINF 107.9 107.9 FM. And unlike my show on July 4th, this is actually live. Ooh. So if you would like to call in, our phone numbers are 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. So if there's something going on at your parish that you would want to share with the rest of us, feel free to give us a call. Again, the number's 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. 855-683-7332. And I'd also like to say hello to Thaddeus Romanski, our engineer, director, and all kinds of things that help us stay on the air. Good morning, Deacon Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing really well. And I want to say good morning to our third person in the studio, Pam Marvin.
1: Good morning.
0: Here joining you, right?
1: I'm so excited. I get to be on the... I get to be here three times in august i'm so excited.
0: wow that's good that's a good month for us well i'm having to work at this because with pam in the room i want to seem as upbeat as pam is and for me that takes work <laughs> that's hard it's hard to top her it's
1: you that motivates me dear
0: Uh your brilliance
1: just gets my gets me going i'm so excited to be here and thank you i want to say thank you because i know this was like not your original inspiration for this type of show but um you agree so lovingly so thank
0: you well i find everything that uh we can help our listeners with talking about what the church tries to teach us about certain things as being inspirational so I am always willing to broaden my horizons into areas that I might not be as familiar with. Well,
1: I Thank you for that. But you know what? I am intellectually curious about the diaconate convention. You just went, you just were just saying, and where was it? How big was it? Like it was it national,
0: uh, the national diaconate Congress uh, just took place in new Orleans hosted by the Di- uh, archdiocese of new Orleans. And, uh, Bishop Amon was there for the entire time, mm. and, uh, but this was the celebration of the 50-year anniversary of the reestablishment of the diaconate in the United States. Um, really? It, uh, there was a letter sent to Rome in 1968 asking to revive the diaconate in the United States based on the documents of Vatican II. And so it was granted, and in 1969, we ordained the first deacon in the United States. As
1: a convert, I had no idea that that the deacons weren't around. Well, the deacons have always been
0: around. Um, But um, if you're interested, I have a brief history of what happened. Um, In the early church, and I I told this in one of my classes the other day, uh, we had first the apostles— who were bishops and then we had deacons before we had priests and uh, if you remember the story in the book of acts in chapter six the uh, deacons were selected based on certain criteria in order to help the apostles with taking care of the people that needed taking care of Um, that's not to say that's all they did because the first time we see one of the deacons he's out preaching Um, But for many, many years, the diaconate was in charge of the funding for the church. They basically held the purse strings. Mm. And uh, so this continued for several years. And... uh, Over time, when more and more priests were in charge of their parishes, there was a bit of a tension between deacons and priests as to who was really in charge of the money belonging to the parishes and things like this. And over time, the diaconate became strictly transitional moving into the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And so for several centuries, we had deacons, but they were strictly transitional deacons. We did have a few permanent deacons, but. They were definitely the exception. And so, um, at Vatican II, uh, it was the German bishops that um, were mainly responsible for starting the conversation on re-energizing the permanent diaconate based on what happened during World War II in Germany. Their thought process was that had there been people of the church living in the culture, Mm -hmm. being actively engaged, perhaps what happened there would not have happened. You would have had a positive influence on the people where the whole notion, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, wouldn't have happened. And so they were really uh, instrumental in starting that conversation that perhaps if we had men that were clergy but lived their lives out in the public, that there would have been a much more positive influence on the things occurring there. And so... Um,
1: that reminds me of one of the things you mentioned right before the show started as far as like one of the main roles of Deacon to be a part of the culture, to exactly. be the culture watcher.
0: Yes, And this is, you know, sometimes as deacons, we forget this, that uh, our role is to be a bridge between the bishop and the laity, and not just the laity as far as the congregation, but even the people that don't go to mass, Mm -hmm. even those people that do not pay any attention to what the church has to say. And so, again, the spirit of what uh, Vatican II was trying to uh, energize with the reestablishment of the permanent diaconate was to speak to that, to allow there to be men and uh, that engage the culture.
1: So, was there not a permanent diaconate prior to '68 here in the United States?
0: No, there was not. Uh, as I said, uh, the first permanent deacon was ordained in the United States. In 1969.
1: But the diac- permanent diaconate um, over the over the big pond, yes? Uh,
0: there were some permanent deacons in Rome, mm. uh, but uh, as a true order, basically non-existent.
1: So what is the census like? You know, we, we often talk about vocations um, being kind of down, and we need to always fluff up our vocations. How is that with the diaconate? I mean, would you say that that's healthy or— We can always use more, or?
0: We can definitely always use more. Um, The problem is that because of the church's desire to make sure that men called to the diaconate are mature in making that decision because they do allow married men. And so one of the things is that the wives are instrumental in the formation of a deacon. And um, so a lot of the men aren't ordained till later in life. So we have this huge retirement on one end of the spectrum as we have men in formation filling those spots. And at the moment, we're just barely staying even. It is increasing, but not enough to um, provide the um, ministry that is required. Because right. the need continues to increase.
1: Well, you know, something just, uh, that I've noticed, too, is oftentimes if, if a deacon or, or someone who is called the deaconate had a large family, by the time his kids are grown, mm-hmm. he's aged out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it's not so much that they want all your kids grown. it is uh, They want to make sure that you're aware of the strain it is going to put on your family life. That, you know, there are going to be choices that you're going to have to make as a deacon. Uh, A funeral comes up. You have a family vacation planned, which most of the time, if you have more than one deacon, that's not an issue, but it can be. And so the decision is, you know, how do you choose between your ministry and your family? And the family has to be okay that sometimes the ministry comes first.
1: Right. Wow. Yeah, because in my little mind, it's like that uh, your paternal role is your vocation, yes. but then I guess the, 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 clerical vocation then trumps the paternal one
0: at times. The times uh, okay. Now the church always says the proper uh, order is God first, family, second, job, third, ministry, fourth. But again, that holds most of the time.
1: Say that one more time. Cause I, I want that to sink in with everybody. Cause I just love that.
0: God first, family, second, job, third, ministry, fourth.
1: In in family, you mean spouse, then kids,
0: right? <laughs> Why, certainly. <laughs>
1: okay, just just making sure because we need a little reminder for some of the mamas out there that your husband he's right above the kids.
0: But uh, back to the National Deaconate Congress, uh, there were twenty seven hundred deacons present for this. Oh, this wow. was one of the largest gatherings of deacons ever, uh, but it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, I've never seen so many bishops and cardinals in one spot. Uh, the least we ever had at a mass was four uh, bishops um, and a uh, large number of priests. And um, we had uh, Cardinal Joseph Pierre, the uh, apostolic nuncio to the United States uh, um, address, uh, Uh, Cardinal Tobin from Newark did one of the addresses, and of Mm. course, uh, Cardinal DiNardo from Galveston, Houston did one of the uh, talks. But um, we had um, wonderful speakers, we had wonderful breakout sessions. Based on different topics that uh, we got to choose, you know, which.
1: What was one of your favorites?
0: uh, My uh, favorite of the breakout sessions was the one on the diaconate in the Byzantine Rite, Mm. because uh, there are liturgical differences between the Catholic churches of the East and the Catholic churches of the Latin Rite. And um, deacons are a vital aspect of the liturgy in the eastern rite but one of the most wonderful things that came out of it for me was there is actually a theology on the typology of deacons and archangels Mm -hmm. and my patron saint is saint michael so i have saint michael statues everywhere but i'd never heard of this typology and the thought process is that the archangels speak for god they're their god's messengers and so from the eastern viewpoint The deacons speak for the bishop, Mm. so there's a correlation in that role of messenger of bringing the message. Fascinating. And so, uh, gave me you know new perspective on you know my devotion to my. See how God did
1: that. See how He did that for you. Oh yes, Uh, He he knew.
0: He always does. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is one of these things that you know you get graces where you least expect to find them and again the the whole national diaconate congress just seeing the number of men there with their wives a lot of times with their families and um, all of us are different you know we all have different gifts to bring to the table and uh, but to see that singularity that singularity of purpose was absolutely wonderful.
1: I just can't even imagine. Um, what Where was it? I mean, It had to be a pretty large facility to do uh, that.
0: It was at the uh, Marriott uh, in New Orleans. Uh, and they have wonderful facilities. Uh, little problem with the elevators. But uh, they were somewhat overwhelmed at times. But uh, the grand ballroom was huge enough to have the masses mm-hmm. in uh, and, uh, the main talks.
1: So did you meet some fascinating people as well?
0: I did. Um, uh, I had the opportunity to meet, uh, one of the German representatives to the national association of the, um, Diagnet directors. And, uh, he and I talked because I happened to be able to speak a little bit of German. And, um, so I gave me a chance to practice and, uh Just, uh, again, the ability to see people from other countries who are called to the same ministry and to engage in a conversation was really wonderful.
1: Mm -hmm. That's awesome.
0: But, um, of course, being in New Orleans, one of the things is, of course, food. (laughs) Undoubtedly. uh, (laughs) It's... uh, Ridiculous how much I uh, ate being in New Orleans, but I love seafood anyway. So uh, I thought it was an absolutely wonderful venue for this, because um, especially people coming from other countries probably have never heard of what a crawfish is. So um, that was a wonderful experience. But um, again, back to bringing together all these deacons after fifty years. One of the topics of conversation was the fact that it's only been 50 years and so how does the deacon look now is dramatically different from how he looked in the book of acts Mm. because the church has changed the role of the bishop has changed the role of the priest has changed in effect based on you know the fall of the roman empire the church being um set up more like a government now than it used to be. It used to be more as a family. And so, you know, the roles have diminished somewhat. Mm. And so uh, the question is still, you know, what will the deaconate be in a hundred years, in 500 years, in a thousand years? Mm. And so um, it's all conjecture, you know, we sit there and we talk about, you know, but uh, I think the main thing I got out of it is that Ultimately, we are still forming the ministry of deacons. The church is still, you know, each bishop has an idea of what he would like the diaconate to be. And so when the bishops get together, they're going to talk about, you know, this is what I'd like to see, this is what I'd like to see, Mm -hmm. this is what my deacons are doing, this is what my deacons are doing. And so I think over the next few centuries, this will develop into a role for the deacon and to always hear the conversations of should women be ordained deacons and things like this. And this is of course, all things that, you know, the church is going to discuss and decide way above my pay grade. So
1: thanks be to God. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. Uh, it's not a decision I would like to make, Yeah. but, um, again, this, it's wonderful to just, um, you know, one of the talks I went to was on the statistics of the diaconate the growth of the diaconate in the United States and um, involvement in ministries and you know what percentage of deacons are involved in prison ministry and it's really an astounding number but again compared to the number of prisons in the United States we have nowhere near enough deacons uh, deacons involved in hospital ministry and deacons involved in, all sorts of other ministries that, you know, aren't that common that they just find a role for themselves. Mm -hmm. Deacons involved in Catholic radio. Uh, (laughs) But um, it's, again, you know, it's awe-inspiring to think that, you know, basically the diaconate on a permanent basis is still in its infancy. Wow. Wow. Maybe not infancy, maybe toddler stage.
1: Well, no, if we're talking about thousands of years, yes. it's, yeah, it's probably infancy. Fascinating.
0: Yes, but um, I think uh, for most of us that went, it was eye-opening, um, just the breadth of diversity in the diaconate from people from different countries, people from different cultures, people from all these various backgrounds. Yeah.
1: The universality of, of it. The
0: universality of the Catholic church. and It's beautiful. I yes. I love that. And for all of us as deacons, it's also extremely humbling mm. that each of us, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our shortcomings, were called by God and asked to serve mm. and, uh, For me, that is always a humbling experience to think that, you know, I am allowed to serve God, and where he sends me, he sends me, and I'm perfectly okay with that.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Well, we're thankful for you here at KEDC.
0: And we're going to have to take a short break, and again, when we return, we're going to talk a little bit about New Age. So stay tuned. I'll see you on the other side. And welcome back to the Red Sea Roundup. Again, uh, I want to welcome everybody to our show. Also, I want to remind everybody that we are live, so if you would like to chip in a comment or something on uh, the topic of new age, feel free to give us a call. 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, eight five five six eight three seven three three two. And again, I'm here with Pam Marvin, and just for... Clarity, I want to point out that neither one of us is an expert on New Age. <laughs> disclaimer. But, disclaimer. But we thought um, this is an important topic to talk about because, trust me, you know somebody that is involved in New Age, whether they know it or not.
1: Right. And also, as Catholics, we there's uh, so many elements that can creep mm-hmm. in to what we think is still Catholic but can borderline on maybe not so much.
0: Yes, and that for all of us uh, is a challenge sometimes when we hear things that we think we understand Mm -hmm. and we incorporate them into our lives and sometimes find out that that's really not what we should be believing. That's really not what we should be following.
1: You know, I've noticed this is kind of an ongoing type of formation. As a a convert myself, you know, I come across things and like, oh, that's really great and maybe try to adopt it and then come to find out that not exactly catholic
0: yes and uh this is you know the catholic church is a worldwide institution it Mm. is universal and so as bishop Barron is fond of saying we pick the truth from everywhere we find it Mm. because the truth is always from god But we have to be careful that we only pick the truth, because sometimes we pick things that are not true.
1: So true, that good old relativism.
0: Yes. And when we start thinking everything is of equal value, which is one of the phenomenons in our culture, that we have the danger of stepping into areas that perhaps will lead us in places that we really do not want to go.
1: That is so true. True.
0: One of the comments I wanted to make starting out right away um, is uh, we're talking about a document written by the church uh, entitled, Jesus Christ, the Bearer of the Water of Life. It is a Christian reflection on the New Age, and it is a um, combined effort from the Pontifical Council for Culture uh, Culture and the Pontifical uh, Culture can't say culture, a council for interreligious dialogue. Mm. But one of the comments they made in the document is that new age is not a single uniform movement, but rather a loose network of practitioners whose approach is to think globally, but act locally, which (laughs) sounds like a very Catholic perspective. Mm -hmm. And again, this is something that I think, uh, is worth noting just because people use the terminology that we do does not mean that they're talking about so true
1: and and this was you know as i read um the document this was one thing that really started to stand out uh, to me that words mean something and what they mean to me may not necessarily mean to my brother or sister of kind of different faith persuasion
0: yes and we were talking earlier about you know Simple terms like Holy Spirit, which as Catholics we know has one meaning for us, and that is it. And yet when you're talking to someone involved in New Age, when they're talking about the Holy Spirit, they're not talking about the third person of the Trinity.
1: No, not at all. As a matter of fact, the document even mentions that it's more of um, that higher self within that person is what they call their Pretty much their own Holy Spirit within them, which that was eye-opening to me.
0: And again, uh, so much of what you hear in New Age resonates with us as Catholics because there is a, sim- a similarity of language. And again, higher self, uh, really, all of us should strive for a better version of ourselves, as Matthew Kelly says. Absolutely. But again... The danger is always, what are we using as a source to achieve that higher self?
1: Exactly. Well, you know, one of the things that really stood out in the very beginning of the document for me, which started to really show just the pastoral love and care that the church has for its people, is it really points out that... um, this movement of the new age in general is really a sign of the perennial human search for happiness and meaning and salvation. So again, deeply written in our hearts um, is that searching for that longing for happiness and that longing for sanctity. Um, Although people have different methods to try and get there, but as we know, as Catholics, there's really, One predominant way, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life.
0: And uh, we had talked a little bit about uh, the fact that one of the things that Catholicism stresses for us is the notion of humility being important in our approach to life. Mm -hmm. And so it's always with the understanding that if I dismiss grace in my life, it becomes prideful it becomes something that i am achieving for myself and this again we're talking about this higher self notion and um it resonates back to the early church and that whole idea of gnosticism that whole idea that there is a spiritual higher self and then there is that lower physical self Mm -hmm. and um The emphasis was always that there was some special knowledge that we can achieve to basically live as that higher self and Mm -hmm. dismiss the physical self. And this is contradicted by the incarnation. The whole point of Jesus becoming man is to glorify our physical bodies as well as our souls, our spiritual self. And so we have to be careful when we hear these things of achieving that higher spirituality that we don't drift into these areas where we dismiss the physical self because in doing so we start dismissing the incarnation and the importance of it in our faith and In who we are
1: well Deacon Mike you you mentioned a word there that I want you to kind of break down a little more for us because it is kind of central um, into what we're talking about today and is central into our Catholic life too and that's the notion of grace
0: yes and uh, for most of us as Catholics we speak of grace all the time we recognize that we receive sanctifying grace through the sacraments And there is such a thing as actual grace. But when someone asks, well, what is this grace? We sort of fumble around. And so I think the simplest way to explain it is grace is the gratuitous gift of God's life to us. It is the divine life of God shared with us to assist us in becoming the people God wants us to be.
1: Right. I mean, personally, that's like whenever I'm just not feeling, let's say not feeling just right at home in myself, you know, like we all go through those ebbs and flows of feeling so connected to God or feeling so very far away. I mean, it's a natural ebb and flow that we go through. And I find myself saying, Lord, not without your grace. I need your grace Mm -hmm. And and for me, I kind of imagine that is the 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 cry of the creature to the creator saying that I cannot do this without you, Lord. And interesting enough, that's a big thing with what we're talking our topic today is the, the the creator and the creature, because I don't believe they believe so much in a creator as just the, a collective creature that makes an overall? I mean, would you say that's about right?
0: Yes, and I think uh, you've hit the nail on the head. And um, we see this a lot in movies today. Uh, Avatar, Star Wars, the whole notion that the sense of God for whoever wrote the movie is this collective whole, mm. that rather than there being a creator God, that if we belong to the greater whole, we're all part of God. And all we need to do is utilize the energy produced by that entity that yeah. we then become part of God and okay. ultimately God itself, himself.
1: He Mike, just very succinctly explain to you what the New Age movement is right there. It's the collective consciousness that together we all make God, but apart we're not so much, but we can be. Yes. It's quite confusing to me.
0: And uh, But again, uh, it is in a way a rejection of the humble self, a rejection that without God, without God's grace, I'm just me. It is with God's grace that I can aspire to be a son of God, that I can aspire to be a brother of Christ, mm-hmm. um, that whole notion from Irenaeus, that the glory of God is man fully alive resonates with people in the new age movement, but for the wrong reason, it denies the fact that it is the grace of God that allows us to aspire to this rather than the self, Mm -hmm. the notion that I, and this uh, goes back to the idea of Gnosticism, that there is some knowledge, there's something I can achieve. There's something that I can find where I can myself, Raise myself, be it in the right form of meditation, be it in the right participation in this cult, be it in the right reading of this phrase.
1: Right, You know, in this document, we do see over and over again um, about Gnosticism and esoteric. Uh, which you're, you were saying earlier, because I was like, Deacon, I can look up Gnosticism all I want. It just never seems to stick with me. Esoteric, I understand a little bit more. It's like kind of, and you're saying they're very closely related about being set apart. And, and again, I think that goes back to, you know, me with all my uh, study of woundedness and stuff. It's a way for us to overcome our, or not to overcome it, but to ignore our woundedness to say that, you know, this is where I am.
0: Yes. And I think one of the things that we need to caution uh, uh, ourselves is that if we are wounded, setting it aside and ignoring it, it is never the right answer.
1: Never the right answer. But
0: uh, back to the no- notion of Gnosticism, and it, it basically comes from the Greek word gnosis, which is to know something, to uh, there's some special knowledge that allows me to achieve uh, where I want to go. And, uh, Again, if you read scripture and um, you're not careful in the interpretation, it can lead you in that direction. And so, this is why we had a lot of Gnostic documents come out shortly after the writing of the New Testament that extrapolated Gnosticism from what was written in uh, some of the texts. And so, but uh, basically, Gnosticism just says that uh, one. If I have this special knowledge, God loves me. And the poor slobs that don't have this knowledge, well, God doesn't want anything to do with them, which of course is not. Heartbreaking. Yes, not true. But the other aspect of this is that this knowledge will raise me to this higher self. That by God loving me, I will reject this physical self, which is holding me back, and become this great spiritual self that God wants me to be. Mm-hmm. And again, the church rejected this from the very beginning.
1: Right. You know, um, I'm just kind of drawn connecting the dots here too. essentially kind of what I've been, I've kind of always, um, kind of seen it as I've observed it and then reading it, just reiterated it, that it is that the great sin of Satan, the sin of pride, um, but that goes back to this lack of trust. So it's like human beings age old. So the new age folks is not a new thing no. really. And again, there's all different kinds and ways it looks. So if you're really curious as to certain something that's going on, maybe you've been exposed to it or one of your loved ones have been exposed to it and you're wondering if it's new age, feel free to give us a call and just talk about it at eight five five six eight three seven three three two, And we can kind of hopefully break it down for you a little bit. But again, um, Pride being the sin of Satan, she's saying, I, I, f- "I, think about the little disobedient child. I can do it all by myself." You know, that's really what it's about. Like, I don't need anybody to tell me because I've got this down and I know better, right? And that's where a lot of this really springs mm-hmm. from.
0: And again, this is nothing new. There was a heresy in the early church called Pelagianism, which one of the His what uh, one of the priests, Pelagius. Uh, in response to another heresy, went a little too far in the opposite direction and said that, you know, we don't really need the grace of God to do good things, that we can do them on our own. And this was extrapolated by followers of Pelagius to be that we really didn't need God at all, that, you know, we can be good people, and you hear this nowadays all the time, you don't need God to be a good person. And the church has always taught that goodness is God himself that you know without God good doesn't even have meaning and so it is the grace of God from the very beginning the n- whole idea of good is instituted by God mm-hmm. and so I can't say I can do something good with God because I can't even understand good without God mm-hmm. and so God provides us the grace to do good things whether we realize it or not. So when we're doing something good, I can deny that God's doing it all I want, I want to. to but yeah. Doesn't change the fact that all things that we do are initiated by the grace right. of God.
1: You know, I thought it very interesting as I was reading the document also, came across the notion of Manichaeism, which I, I didn't really know that much about. Um, and then through some of my other readings, found that uh, Augustine, before his conversion uh, was very much a part of this Manichaeism, so can and that's very big part of a heresy that goes right into all this. So can you can you kind of explain that in regular
0: terms? <laughs> well, um, for Saint Augustine, the big struggle was the same struggle that we all have: if God is who God says He is, why is there bad things happening in the world? And so, in his search for an answer to this, he came across Manichaeism. Which was basically the notion that there is the good God and there is the evil God. And the two are intention. And again, you have this whole notion that the physical world is bad, part of the evil God. Okay. and the spiritual world is part of the good God. Mm. And so the for Augustine at first, this provided, some answer to this well the good god's not responsible for the bad stuff it's the bad god Mm. and so it isn't until he started reading scripture that he realized if god is who god says he is there can't be a bad god if god created everything where did the bad god come from right and so you either have two gods or you have no god but you can't have one god one god uh, who is in charge of this so
1: And in the New Age movement, though, it seems to be that there's not really this, I mean, a celestial being, so to speak. It's more of this collective consciousness that goes way beyond, you know, planetary.
0: Right. And uh, the notion there is that it is our failure to cooperate with this collective consciousness that makes bad things happen does not explain physical evil, does not explain volcanoes and this sort of thing. Um, and this is the challenge with everything. The only thing that truly underst- uh, explains the world we live in is understanding God in his proper meaning. Right. The fact that God is good in the same way that heat is warm. Yeah. Cold is not another state. Cold is the absence of heat, darkness is not another state, it's the absence of light. Mm -hmm. Evil is not another state in and of itself, it is the absence of goodness. And so when we see God in that light, and this is what Augustine came to learn, that God is good, it is when we fail to cooperate with that good, that evil comes into the world. Mm.
1: Speaking of evil in the world, one of the things that's very uh, central to this new age spirituality is also um, the belief that there's no such thing as sin. Uh, and that is a uh, that is like a really big thing in the culture. I mean, I even see uh, some Catholics really watering it down to a certain amount. Of, I mean, trying to, again, get us off the hook for um, our interior weaknesses. So can you really talk about sin and why it's real.
0: (laughs) Well, there's two aspects of sin that we need to talk about if we're going to talk about sin. The first is original sin, and this is one of the most misunderstood concepts even among Catholics. It's that notion that Adam did something bad and we're paying for it. Mm. And we're not being held responsible for the sin of Adam per se. Our spiritual DNA has been marred by what... Adam did, and uh, the way I normally explain this is: if you are a parent or a future parent exposed to radiation, and your DNA is somehow warped, it is passed on to your children, not because they're responsible for what you did, but because what you did affected so uh, their entire uh, genes. And so the same thing holds for our spiritual genealogy. Adam through the original sin, Adam and Eve, corrupted our spiritual DNA, which we are, as Catholics, we refer to this as concupiscence. Mm -hmm. It is the tendency towards sin that we derive from that original sin. Not that we are held accountable for this, but we are weakened to the point where it is harder to resist because we're no longer in that holy state that they were in the Garden of Eden. So original sin is not the same thing as personal sin. But through that concupiscence, it's easier for me to say yes to all those things that tempt me to go against the will of God.
1: Okay, I want to break down concupiscence a little bit because I, I use this a lot, but it's kind of a you know, big word. But it really is just a lot about your personal sin. It can, you know, it's there, it's like this, this natural propensity for sin. Yes, it's
0: okay. the natural tendency towards sin. It's not, it, concupiscence will never make you sin but it will lower your resistance. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like what they say about alcohol. Mm -hmm. You know, it lowers your inhibitions. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you do anything you wouldn't do anyway. It's just your inhibitions keep you from doing this because you know it's wrong. You drink alcohol and all of a sudden, oh, well, I know it's wrong, but it's fun. It
1: doesn't seem so bad.
0: Exactly. That's what concupiscence does to us. Oh, I (laughs) love
1: the way you explain that.
0: Awesome. So, you know, sin comes our way and concupiscence says, go ahead and do it. And uh, it makes it easier for the devil sitting on our shoulder going, you know, you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter. And the less of the positive voices we have, the less we listen to the church, the more that's exacerbated. And so now we were talking about this failure to realize that we do sin. And that's part of this. Concupiscence is running wild because the counter voice is less and less in our culture. Fewer and fewer people hear the voice of the church saying, there is such a thing as sin. You shouldn't be doing certain things. And right. other things, even though they may seem innocuous, like the new age stuff, will lead you in a path where it becomes harder and harder to say no to the really bad stuff.
1: Well, not not even so much that. But one thing that really stood out also in the document, Deacon, was that um, this whole notion of ecology that comes into the play of the new age system. When I say that, I mean like the whole oneness with everything mm-hmm. and everything being one. They're, again, right down to there not even being a gender, which was very eye-opening. I didn't realize that that kind of overall watering down, like just making everything pretty analogous, just like all the same. I mean, that's that's really the point where they're going to is with some of this new age stuff.
0: We can certainly make the case that a lot of the direction that the New Age movement takes us is into this harmonious mush. <laughs> and um,
1: Without the harmony, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, Very true. But uh, this is all part of this because the minute you start defining things— uh, be it you know better students, worse students; be it better looking, worse looking; be it tall, short, male, female. The minute we differentiate, we classify. It's what the whole point of labeling something does. It is sets it aside from something else.
1: You know, as a culture watcher, you could argue this is where that political correctness also.
0: Oh, very comes much in. so, wow. because we. Then go to the point that, you know, we just label something as bad for innocuous reasons. And uh, right now in our culture, we have this tension between male and female. We have race tensions. We have all this because the idea is that if I label something as being distinct, that I have to make a judgment of whether it's good or bad, which is never Mm, the case. So true. So true. Right. And so... Uh, New Age, again, that whole notion of this mush that, you know, we're all part of this bigger self doesn't allow for that. It does not allow for any distinction because it's all about the greater self.
1: Well, you know, see, I want to point out here, too, as you're saying that is that the reason why sometimes it can be so confusing for us as Christians is we say we're all one in the body of Christ, which is true, right? So you see, and this one thing I've noticed through reading this document over and over again, it's as if there's so many central themes but personal accountabilities taken out with this New Age movement as opposed to personal accountability within um, Catholicism.
0: And again... uh The warning is always that we have to be careful when we use terminology and we assume that everyone's going to understand what we're talking about and people take it completely different. Like Mm -hmm. this, we're all one in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. We fail to understand how St. Paul explains this. Not everybody's a finger, not everybody's an ear, not everybody's a nose, not everybody, we all have our roles to play. We all need to come together to make the whole by our individual gifts.
1: Let me ask you this. So, are people that who are just obviously or in, by choice have turned away from God and turned away from Christ, kind of really deny Christ, are they still one in the body or are they not because they've separated themselves?
0: Well, by a, through baptism, we become part of this body, but it's like having a numb finger it's still part of the body it's just not helping anything
1: okay so so for the people that aren't baptized
0: the people who aren't baptized are not part of the body of christ oh, baptism brings me. us into this now again this does not say you know, we're not talking about you know can you go to heaven can you not go right, to heaven right, right. the catholic church's teaching on this is that you know god has given us the way that we should follow in order to get to heaven he did not say this is the only way he did not say this he doesn't have another way to get you there What he says is this is the way that you should go. It's like having GPS in your car. You follow the GPS, it'll take you where you need to go. You can go off route and it'll recalculate, but it doesn't guarantee you that it can get you there. And so the same thing holds for, you know, God has only given us one way. The way is Jesus Christ. Mm. I can decide on my own that I want to go my own way and it may, it may not get me there.
1: Right. And, and I just want to say on um, uh, my personal journey as someone who got to pick and choose my faith, that one of the things that really, um, or the main reason that I am in the Catholic Church, is because it gave me more of a roadmap to get closer to Jesus Christ. And I had more tools in the tool shed to do that. And and just understanding The errors, that's one of the reasons why we're talking about this, is some of these errors that lead us. And one that really stands out to me is when they really point out that God, uh, for them, and I mean that people that are involved in any type of New Age spirituality, God is their own psyche, kind of their own ego. They are the central person, um, again, like we've been talking about, separated from everyone else agnostic and esoteric, you know, Um, and then occultish, I mean, occultish meaning hidden, right? So we're, it's just kind of, this, this, there's a little bit of elitism there that we're kind of better than everybody else and we've got this and you poor heathens that are stuck in the body are just not the same.
0: Well, and I think you you hit the nail on the head with this whole notion of pride, this whole notion that, you know, we want to be the captain of our own ship, And uh, I find it entertaining that, you know, for most of us, if our microwave breaks, we're not going to take it out of the wall and take it apart and say, I can fix this. And yet, as far as our spirituality, for some reason, we think that we have all the tools necessary to find our own way and build our own microwave and, you know... We are humble enough to say, I don't know how to fix the microwave, but we're not humble enough to say that I cannot figure out God on my own.
1: Mm -hmm. Very right. It's so true. I think that, um, especially always going back to the creator versus the creature, I know that's a very, very difficult concept, um, or pretty much non-existent within the new age. So I don't know. With our listeners today, as we're breaking this down, um, again, this is kind of just the error of the human person, that sin of Satan, that pride that says, I can do this all by myself. And there's so many, as we said, just kind of recap a little bit, there's so many commonalities of language. Meaning is different, but the commonalities of the language are very, very similar. So I just really want everyone to be on high alert when this kind of stuff comes across. You know, we still always have the age old debate about yoga and stuff like that as well. I mean, there's so much that's really come in. I mean, I'm still to the point where I've seen, you know, this where you're saying divine mercy and still doing all the positions of yoga positions. And I'm just like, "Uh, I still have issues. I don't know.
0: Well, I think there's uh, two things I want to say on that. First one is that we have to be very careful when we talk to somebody about God, And we first need to establish what they mean by that word. Well, we'll go ahead. Uh, For us as Catholics, God is the essence of being. It is what it means to exist in the first place. That Anything you see, anything that exists, exists through the grace of God, that God Mm -hmm. has given it existence. The creator. The creator. And so God is not part of creation. God is not one portion of creation. God didn't create from part of himself. God is what it means to be. This is why he gave Moses the name I am, because he always has been, always will be, and always is. It is the now. And so when somebody says God in any other imagination of that word, it's wrong. God is what it means to be, what it means to exist in its as St. Thomas Aquinas says, in his simplest form. No conditions, nothing broken down. It just, God is. And he is love and He's goodness. And we don't have time to go into why that is. But the other thing that we were talking about is that there are certain things that the New Age movement, and the document cautions us not to call it a religion because it doesn't have enough form really to be a religion, but the New Age movement... Things like yoga are not bad in and of themselves. Again, all of it is leading these people towards a search for the truth. They're looking for truth. They're just going on the wrong They're GPS. searching
1: for that peace.
0: Yes, right. They're searching for exactly the same things we are looking but refusing. for. But refusing the guidance that God provides mm. to get them there. Mm-hmm. And so when we hear, you know, shouldn't do yoga, that's because yoga sometimes has so many things of the new age movement that can be incorporated into the physical exercises because the physical exercise and yoga have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be careful. I'm not saying that, you know, you can't do the physical exercise yoga. You just have to be aware of what the instructor's intent is in leading you through those exercises. And there has to be an awareness that some of these things are going in the wrong direction. And so, but all these things, again, we have to understand What language we're speaking, we have to understand where we're going and uh, be careful.
1: Looks like we're we're starting to run out of time. I'm going through my notes here just to see if there's other things that I really want to make sure that we're talking about. Yeah, this is one of them that I thought was um, very interesting to note, um, that basically the way that Jesus is perceived within this notion of the new age, any particle of it is that um, Jesus was only one among historical figures in whom the Christic nature is revealed. And basically he was just a fully, Christ shows clearly that human beings are heavenly and divine, like a fully actualized human, which in their path, we're all trying to be, which no, no bueno.
0: Yeah, and again, uh, this is uh, the common language not saying the same thing. Irenaeus, the glory of God, is uh, man fully alive. We're taking it out of context. Uh, We are not going to be the uh, same as Jesus. Jesus is God. We are the adopted children of God. We're going to run out of time, so I want to remind everyone that next week, uh, Gene Wilhelm will be the host of Red Sea Roundup. Remember to tune in for that. Until then, when calculating the many ways you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, always round up.